Today's scripture reading comes from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefit, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our, our iniquities. For as high as heavens are, and as, for as high as heavens are above, above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and is gone, and his place know it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is for everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children and children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do, do his commandment. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdoms rule over all. To bless the Lord, all you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of God. Thank you, uh, Samuel, for reading God's word. Um, as we begin our uh, uh, sermon, let's just uh, ask God for his help. Um, please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word, uh, and it's your word that's doing the work through your spirit. So we pray that your spirit will work through the words that will be preached, that I will recede to the background, and that your power and your word will come to the foreground, speaking to our hearts and our minds. So we pray for your help as we listen to your word this, this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's been, a, uh, it's been really a joy to go through the uh, book of Psalms during the summer. Um, and I hope uh, you know, you've, you've been enjoying it as much as I have. And we've not only been um, studying, but also we've been singing. I don't know if you know, uh, recognize a couple of the songs that we sang. Praise the, praise the Lord, my King of Heaven, and also 10,000 Reasons. Those are based directly from Psalm 103 that we'll be going through together. So through the psalm, we've been learning and meditating on God's goodness, learning how to pray, learning how to lament, and how God knows in every possible way 
and why that's a good thing. That's what um, Pastor Rob preached a couple of weeks ago from uh, Psalm 139. This week's Psalm, Psalm 103, Psalm 103, somehow stands out among the 150 Psalms. It's a Psalm of King David, as many of the Psalms are, but in this Psalm, he doesn't lament, he doesn't confess, he doesn't complain about his enemies, he doesn't ask God for anything. It's a pure praise, praise of God's goodness and his character. And it stands out also in another way. If you look at the first, if you remember the first line that we, that's how we read, it says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to himself, to his own soul. And it's a call to worship to himself. When we began our service, Pastor Rob did a call to worship, and it was from Hebrews chapter 13. So each Sunday, we have a call to worship, and we usually start by reading some portion of the scripture to help us center our hearts on Jesus. It's to help us to pay attention to what God says to us so that we can worship him instead of getting distracted by what's going on in our hearts. You know, our culture tells us to follow your heart or listen to your heart. But the Bible tells us that our heart is sick and not to be trusted. Prophet Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I think you would agree that if we were to project on the screen what's in our hearts, we would all be ashamed and horrified. In Matthew 15, um, Jesus, in fact, lists some of the symptoms of the disease of our heart. He says, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. That's the description of the disease of our heart. And King David understands this, this danger. And so instead, he speaks to his heart. He preaches to his heart to bless the Lord, to praise the Lord with a thankful heart. So he's inviting himself to worship God, and by doing so, he's encouraging us to do the same. Let's stop and examine ourselves for a moment. Are we usually in the mode of praising God? I don't mean just on Sunday like today, but throughout the week. So this psalm is for you. Like most of us, we are not always doing that. So this psalm is for you. For all of us to remind ourselves to be thankful and to praise God continually. But why is it good to be thankful and praise God? I don't know if you ever thought about that. For that matter, why should we thank anyone? I know in some sense that's an obvious question. Of course, we thank one another to, be, to show appreciation, to be polite, to be respectful. But did you know that giving thanks makes one happy? For a moment, uh, I'd like to turn to a secular source on the importance of giving thanks. And there was a recent article published by Harvard Medical School uh, in 2021 on the correlation between gratitude and one's happiness. So in one psychology research study, they asked all participants to write a few sentences each week on a few topics. 
So let me read a summary of the study. So um, follow with me. One group wrote about things that they were grateful for, that that had occurred during the week. So they wrote about things that they were thankful for. Second group wrote about daily irritations or things that had displeased them. The third group wrote about any events that had affected them with no emphasis, no emphasis on them being positive or negative. So after 10 weeks, those who wrote about gratitude were more optimistic and felt better about themselves. Surprisingly, they also exercised more, had fewer visits to the physicians than those who focus on sources of aggravation. So the study concluded that gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. Isn't that interesting? You see, modern research confirms what the scripture has told us all along. Even though the research doesn't say anything about God, often our scientific research is discovering the truth of what the Bible is already teaching us. When we give thanks, when we give thanks to the Lord, it blesses both the Lord and us. And in fact, the Bible commands, to give us, commands us to give thanks. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, giving thanks all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It is God's will that we give thanks in all circumstances. And we show our appreciation and gratitude because he's good and he's good to us. It makes us happy to thank him. And our happiness in God also glorifies God. So it's doubly good. So as we look at this psalm together, my hope is that the next 30 minutes or so is more of a meditation on God's blessings over us and for us to be captured by the majesty and beauty of God's character and his goodness over us. So first, we'll look at how we are to praise God, and then why we should praise God, and not forget God's benefits over us. And we'll, we'll conclude with a question on who gets these benefits. And the first and the last part will be relatively short, and we'll spend much of our time together on meditating on why we should praise God. So as we begin, I want to reread the first five, five verses of Psalm 103 together. If, you, um, if I could ask you, let's just stand together and read these verses out loud together with me. So let's read. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his, all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your disease, redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, and who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like eagles. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> so, the, so first, how should we praise God? First one we just read, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. To bless is to praise with the utmost adoration and gratitude. So the verse says for us to bless, to praise him, praise God with utmost adoration and gratitude with all that is within us. It's not half-hearted, perfunctory praise. Our God does not want lukewarm relationship with us. 
He doesn't want our relationship with him to be half-hearted. Instead, he tells us in the Bible, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind and strength. So here, David is, David, King David tells himself to praise the Lord with everything, his mind, his, mind, his heart, and his strength. And notice that the last part of verse 1 that we just read says, bless his holy name. It's easy for us to praise the Lord when our circumstances are going great. And we should when we get that promotion or when we get into the college of our choice and when we get a new job or when we have a new baby. We should give thanks and praise for these wonderful blessings. But in this psalm, David is not recalling any specific event or circumstances. He's not motivated, he's not motivated by any recent external circumstances in his life. He sings, bless his holy name. By the name, we understand the revealed character of God. And David is reminding himself and the readers that he wants to praise him for who he is, for his unique character with all of his heart, his mind, and his strength. He's motivated first and foremost by God's holiness and his character, regardless of what the circumstances are. So in the rest of Psalm 103, he describes further what, his, what God's unique character is, why we should praise him. So let me, uh, let's go to the next section of the, of the, of the study as to why should we praise God. David says in verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. It's as if David is saying to himself, I know that God is holy and he is good, but he has been specifically good to me, and I need to keep remembering all those blessings. He is saying, this is not a God who is, who is detached from me, his essential character and how he is to me is good. He is good to me, and I must not forget that. So he says, forget not his benefits. And David knows that often problems in our lives are because we forget God. I don't mean that we suddenly decide that God doesn't exist. But we forget God and that we live our lives as if God is not relevant to us. We are forgetful creatures. And do we often recall God's goodness over us? When our circumstances are not so good, we often forget how God has dealt with us in the past. We are prone to remember difficult times and complain, and we usually tend to forget the good things that have happened to us in the past. But it's not only when our circumstances are not so good, we also forget when things are going well, thinking that it's all because of us that we are doing well. So David reminds himself that he should not forget God's benefits, God's goodness towards him during good times or bad times. So what are the benefits that cause him to praise God that he wants to constantly remember? So we'll spend much of our time together on the next three verses, verse 3 to 5 where David lists five benefits that our God has shown clearly to him 
in the song that we sang, 10,000 Reasons, the, uh, the singer Matt Redman, he, he says there are 10,000 reasons for us to remember God's benefits. David just mentions five here, and so that's what we'll, we'll focus on. He first gives an overview of those benefits, and then in the rest of the psalm, he elaborates on those five benefits. So before we look at this passage and go through the benefits that David mentions, I want to start with a personal question for you. What is the greatest blessing God has shown you? If you could take a moment to just think on that. What is the greatest blessing God has shown you? The first thing that David mentions in our passage, the most important thing that he mentioned is not that God has given him a mighty and wealthy kingdom, but that God forgives his sins. Verse 3 says, who forgives all your iniquity. David had many riches. There was no king like him. And yet the greatest blessing for David was that his sins are forgiven. And you know the story of David. He was a good, brave king. And we know the story how he came into fame by defeating the much larger Goliath. But we also know, we also know that he had committed some of the worst sins. He committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered her husband, Uriah. Indeed, he needed much forgiveness. And note the word all in who forgives all your iniquity. He forgives all our sins, whether they are small or big. Note the present tense of the verb in forgives. It's not that he was forgiven in the past only, but that he continues to forgive. He forgave all our sins in the past. He forgives all our present sins, and he will continue to forgive us all our sins in the future. You know, for those of us who are married, if you have wronged your spouse, your relationship is broken. And it's difficult to have a normal interaction unless that wrong is dealt, dealt with. And you deal with that brokenness by confessing your sins. And you tell your spouse, I've done such and such. Will you forgive me? And when your spouse grants that forgiveness, then the whole weight of sin falls off and your relationship can be restored. And so it is with our relationship with God. We need God's forgiveness. And when we first come to understand that the wages of sin is eternal death, we need to ask God for forgiveness. And his forgiveness is not anything we earn. We are completely at his mercy. And this is, in fact, the first step in our faith, recognizing our sins, repenting, and asking God to forgive us our sins. And God promises, God promises that he will forgive us and will continue to forgive us. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he invites everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 10 that we read in Psalm 103 tells us that he does not deal with us according to our sins. 
let's, let's think about that for a moment. It does not deal with us according to our sins. And this is an amazing statement. He does not deal according to our sins. Really? Isn't God righteous and just? And if he is just, shouldn't he deal with one sin? Let's say, a serious, let's say a serious crime has been committed and the criminal was caught and is now standing in front of the judge in our court system. What if the judge simply says, you know, I'm in a really good mood today. You can go free. I won't deal with you according to your sins, according to your crimes. If that happened, we'll be outraged. We'll conclude that he is a corrupt, unrighteous, unrighteous judge. But that is not how our God is. Our God has dealt with our sins. It's just that he does not deal with us according to our sins. But instead, he has dealt with Jesus according to our sins. He has dealt with Jesus according to our sins. So he set the cross where God's mercy and justice meet. And this is the amazing truth of the gospel. Jesus taking on the punishment for our sins so that God's God's grace can be poured out on us. As the hymn, Amazing Love says, I'm forgiven because you are forsaken. I'm accepted. You are condemned. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? What's also amazing is that Jesus had not yet appeared, yet David is writing this truth, looking forward to when Jesus will appear in about a thousand years and take the punishment for his sins. Continuing in verse 12, tells us how God thinks about our sins now. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. East and west are opposite directions. They are infinitely apart from one to the other. His forgiveness is permanent and complete. Once our sins have been removed, we'll never be held accountable for them. Paul says in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. They are gone from us as far as he's concerned. But some of us may be thinking, but I keep sinning. It's not that we don't sin, as we all can attest that we sadly continue to sin. But God has put the final accountability of our sins, the ultimate punishment for our sins on Jesus. Paul's letter to the Colossians is helpful for us to understand this truth about receiving forgiveness and the ongoing battle with our sin. Let's look at Colossians 3.3. It says, You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That is, our sins have been taken care of. So your former past is like dead. But now your life is secure with Christ for those who put their trust in Jesus. But then in Colossians 3, 5, it goes on to say, Yeah, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, and evil desire. You see, our sins are completely forgiven, but we still sin. So we are commanded to keep putting to death our sins. The difference now is that the mark of those whose sins are truly forgiven 
is that we keep battling. We keep putting to death our ongoing sins. Brothers and sisters, our God keeps forgiving. Our God keeps forgiving. And as far as he's concerned, the sins have been removed away from us to infinity. He doesn't see or remember them anymore. This is why the first thing that David mentions is that his sins are forgiven. David knows that a forgiven man is a truly blessed man. The second thing David mentions, who heals all your disease. So first, who forgives all your iniquity and now heals all your disease. But that doesn't sound right. Really? Does God heal all our disease? The prosperity gospel preachers, the false preachers, have used verses like this to mislead people, saying that if your faith is big enough, you will be healed. Your faith is big enough to donate enough money to our organization, you'll be healed. And I'm sure there are many here who pray for someone to be healed, and he was not healed. And during this pandemic, a number of us lost elderly parents. We pray for them, but some were not healed. So how can this verse be true then? David first mentioned who forgives all your iniquity, and then he mentioned who heals all your disease. When we confess our sins and ask for forgiveness, we get forgiveness immediately. But for physical illness, we may not get that suffering removed immediately. Tim Keller comments on this verse. It says, that is because while sin always blocks our relationship with God, suffering can deepen it. Disease and troubles are not defeats. They work good for us in ways that we may not realize at the time. And that's why Apostle Paul can say in Romans 5, we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance. But it's also important for us to recognize that God does heal today. I know we have many medical profession people here. And in our modern days, we take our health and our long lives for granted. This psalm was written about 3,000 years ago when there was no penicillin, no vaccination. So even a small infection could kill a person. So they knew that a continued life was a sign of God's blessing and protection and thus a reason for praise. Even today, the fact that we get healed when we are sick is a work of God who provides the healing, most often through modern medicine, Our God does heal today because he knows every cell in our bodies. A few of us recently had COVID, and so we pray for God's healing, and we are thankful that God healed us. All healing comes to us from God, and so we should ask for it and thank him when we give it, when when God gives it. And Bible tells us, in fact, to pray for healing. James 5.16 says, Pray for one another that you may be healed. Pray for one another that you may be healed. God may choose not to heal at the time because he has a greater purpose for our healing, for our illnesses. 
But the ultimate promise of no more disease will come in the future. All disease will indeed be healed when Jesus returns or when we are united with Jesus in heaven. In the meanwhile, when we have disease in our suffering, they are part of God's working in us to sanctify us and prepare us for eternity. These two benefits, the forgiveness of all of our iniquity and healing of all our disease, they are talking about how God deals with our sin and sufferings. The third benefit mentioned in verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit, is comprehensive. It's talking about our full salvation. It's about having an eternal life with God forever in a new resurrected body. Unless Jesus returns first, we will all die and be buried in the ground in a pit. But that's not the end. The Bible tells us that our bodies will be resurrected when Jesus returns. And the resurrection of Jesus was the precursor. We have been redeemed, meaning purchased by the blood of Jesus. And we are redeemed by the cost of Jesus' life on the cross. So just as Jesus was resurrected, the psalmist is confident that God will not leave us in the grave, but that God will resurrect our bodies in the future. And that's a promise. But not only that, we are already given a new life now. We were dead in our sins. We were already in a pit. But through Jesus, we have a new life for those who trust in Jesus Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So if you trust Jesus, you already have a new life. So this dual meaning this dual meaning of having already life now and will we'll then have a full resurrected body in the future is what theologians sometimes call as being in already but not yet. So we are already redeemed from the pit and will be fully redeemed and given a new life and an eternal life when we are resurrected. In the last part of verse 4 is the fourth benefit who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. It seems that the benefits that David mentions are growing in greater glory each verse. We are forgiven. We are healed. We are rescued from the pit. But that's not enough. We are now crowned. Our God not only rescues us, but makes us his children. God adopts us as his children and makes us princes and princesses in his kingdom. And when he says he crowns us with his steadfast love and mercy, God is talking about his key character, his signature that he crowns us with. You may remember in Exodus, after the awful incident with the golden calf, Moses is so concerned that God will reject Israel. So Moses asked God to show him his glory. And God responds that he will make all his goodness pass before him and will proclaim his name. And this is how he proclaims in Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, of God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. 
God showed Moses that his character is steadfast love and mercy. So that's what David is recalling. David is recalling this Exodus scripture when he says he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. That's God's essential character. And God crowns us with his character. To crown someone with something means to surround that person with what that crown represents. He makes us his children and surrounds us with, not with crown of silver or gold, not material things, but something much more, much better. His steadfast love, his covenantal love that he will never break. Verse 11 elaborates on this a bit more. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is steadfast love toward those who fear him. And that's a statement of overwhelming, immeasurable magnitude. Some of you may be interested in astronomy, and you know that outside the sun, the closest star in our sky is Proxima Centauri, which is 4.2 light years away from the Earth. At the fastest speed of our modern spaceship, it would take about 10,000 years to get there. And that's how great God's love is for us. His love is infinite, has no bounds. And as if that description is not enough, David then gives another metaphor in verse 13 to explain his infinite love. He says that he is like a father who shows compassion to his children. For those of us who are fathers, and we know there are some new fathers as well, how do we show compassion to our children, especially when they are young and helpless? And we recently have few newborns at New Hope. And the newborns are very cute, but they are very helpless. And when your children are weak and helpless, what do we do? We help them even more. We spend even more of our attention and resources on our children who are helpless. So God knows our frame. He knows we are weak. And so his compassion abounds even more toward us. Isn't that comforting to know that God is not seeking the self-sufficient or the strong, but those of us who are frail? Verse 5 gives us the fifth benefit, who satisfies you with good. What does he mean by satisfies you with good? The sentence actually sounds a bit awkward. Good things. Some translations, such as NIV, translates as who satisfies your desire with good things. Does that mean God gives us good things, good material things, so that we are satisfied? That often may be true, and we should be thankful for the material blessings that God gives us. But according to some Bible scholars who studied the original Hebrew, You see, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew and the New Testament is written in original Greek. Anyway, those who studied Hebrew, they say one word is left out in the most modern English translation in that sentence. In the original Hebrew, it should have read, who satisfies you with good ornament. Who satisfies you with good ornament. And it seems that the translate, most of the translators left out the word ornament because it seems awkward. And saying 
to satisfy your desires with good things seem to make more sense. But good ornament? What do ornaments do? They make things beautiful. And that's why I put ornaments on Christmas trees. So according to some of the scholars, the better way to understand this verse is that God's goodness is what makes our lives beautiful. God's goodness is what makes our lives beautiful. When we are forgiven, when we are healed, when we have eternal life so that we don't have to... We don't have anything to worry when we are surrounded by God's steadfast love and mercy that makes our lives happy and beautiful. David Paulison comments on this verse. God's goodness to us is what adorns our lives. It's what makes our lives beautiful. It's what makes us beautiful. He satisfies you with good as your adornment. He makes our lives beautiful. And we all know that it's not the material things or even success that makes our lives happy. It's being surrounded by God's goodness, His steadfast love that makes our lives satisfying and beautiful. So He forgives us, heals us, redeems us from the grave, surrounds us with His steadfast love and mercy, and makes our lives beautiful by his goodness. And we should not forget such benefits from our loving God. I would like to conclude our time with a question. Who gets these benefits? Or rather, how do we get these benefits? Is it for everyone? Isn't everybody a child of God? So then, does everyone get these benefits? In one sense, we are all God's children because we're all God's creatures. But not all of us are the children of God in the way the Bible talks about. I'm going to look at three verses in this psalm, verse 11, 13, and 17. It says, So great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And verse 13 says, The Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. The steadfast love of the love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. You see the pattern, right? God's steadfast love is for those who fear him. It's to those that he crowns with steadfast love and mercy. The fear of God is not being afraid of God, although one should be afraid of God's judgment. Fearing God means to give him ultimate respect and honor. It's to be awed by God's majesty because of the grace of God that God has, God has shown us. Psalm 134, Psalm 130 verse 4 says, With you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. You see, because we are forgiven, we fear God. We hold God in great reverence and honor, and therefore we worship him. So those who fear God are those who recognize their inadequacy in themselves and have trusted God as their Savior. So when we have experienced God's mercy, when we have experienced God's forgiveness, then we can truly bless God with all that is within us, and only those are called to be the true children of God. Those are the ones that God crowns with steadfast love and mercy.
King David experienced God's mercy and steadfast love, so calls on himself to bless the Lord. What about you? Can you say that you have share in these benefits? Can you honestly say that I fear God, have come to him seeking his forgiveness? If not, consider what Jesus did for you. He paid the penalty for your sins so that God would not deal with you according to your sins, but instead because he has dealt with Jesus according to your sins. God is a loving Father who invites you to receive the forgiveness. For those who, for those who have experienced God's grace, here's a simple takeaway for us. Let's follow the example of this King David. Let's choose to remember God's blessing continually. If you want to be physically fit, you have to remember to exercise. It has to become a daily habit. Similarly for us, to be spiritually fit, we need a spiritual habit to remember God's goodness over us each day. So let's recall God's benefits, his blessings over us, preaching to ourselves the goodness of the gospel, goodness of his character, and goodness of his blessings over us. In such practice, recalling God's benefits will help us grow in our gratitude and satisfaction in God and make us happy. As I know, some of you have started reading Psalms, especially during the, during the summer, each morning and praying through them is a really good way to do so. And if your heart is not warm towards God, let's ask him to help us remember his benefits. Remember that we are crowned with his steadfast love and mercy. It will make us happy as we praise him in knowing that God makes our lives beautiful. All right, let me uh, close, you know, close our time in prayer. Father, we thank you. Thank you for all these blessings that you've given us. Thank you most of all that you have forgiven us our sins. And not only that, you heal our disease. You redeem our life from the pit. And you crown us with this, your steadfast love and mercy. And you satisfies our lives and makes us beautiful because of what Jesus has done. We pray for anyone, everyone who do not know you, for them to come to know Jesus, this beautiful Jesus and the beautiful um, life that he offers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.